Since iTunes only keeps the last 100 episodes of any show, some of our show topics that seem to help the most people are no longer available when people search on iTunes. So, in an effort to make that information available to more people, from time to time we're going to re-air some of our most popular show topics. You can also go to kickitnaturally.com and search for any topic in our search box. For now, enjoy this show that originally aired in 2014. T.C. Hill is not a doctor and does not claim to be a doctor or licensed in any type of medical field. Don't be an idiot and use anything heard on the show as medical advice. This information should be used for educational purposes only and you should contact your doctor for any medical advice. Now get off me. Welcome to Kick It Naturally. I'm Kenna McEnroe and I'm here with T.C. Hale, author, natural health expert, producer, blah, blah, blah. Episode counter. 129-ish. Good Lord, good 129, Lord. 129, I think is where we're at. Wow, those are hours of my life I'll never get back. Bye-bye hours. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Bye-bye. Oh my gosh. And that uh, sexy little mama jamma over there that you're hearing is uh, Will Hottie Patati Schmidt coming from the Bay Area. Oh, Will Smith. I appreciate that intro. I think I get an occasional Facebook like or two because of your promos there. Uh Oh, good, good, good. Um, Well, if you haven't liked us on Facebook, we don't know what the holdup is, but go ahead to go to Kick It in the Nuts. I'm a little tongue-tied today. That's where we post all of our topics that we'll be doing on future shows, and you guys can post any questions or an actual topic you want us to discuss. You can do that. we got a big one today. Today's is fibromyalgia. I hear it sucks. Yeah, so a lot of people don't know about this, but fibromyalgia, when they hear that, they're like, what is that? It's, it's It's actually an acronym, and it stands for You Hurt... It sucks, and we don't know why. I'm sure I'll have it after today's episode because you Prob- know how I am. Right, yeah, I'm, in your yeah, head kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. Um, but it's it's really a complicated issue because uh, there's actually, when you look at the underlying causes and when you understand a little bit more like you will at the end of this uh, episode, this will probably go more than one episode. we got a lot to cover. It's going to go 10 episodes. Ten, this is going to be a 10-episode series. It's going to take four and a half months to record... Um, and we have a budget of $3 million. Yes. <laughs> then how come I'm not getting paid? Well, you won't get paid, but we will have dancers and fireworks. Uh, okay. Well. Okay, so uh, it's confusing because when you really look at it, the underlying cause for fibromyalgia, there's quite a variety of underlying causes. Not all cases of fibromyalgia are the same. So I kind of wanted to look up the the medical world views. Oh, that's my my intro. Yeah, into so this. I, I just went on some of the main websites, the WebMD type, you know, websites, uh, and just looked at what their uh, announcement of what fibromyalgia was. So why don't we have Kenna read some of this info? All right, the medical world viewpoints. Fibromyalgia is a disorder characterized by widespread. Musculoskeletal Musculoskeletal pain. Musculoskeletal pain, accompanied by fatigue, sleep, memory, and mood issues. Researchers believe that fibromyalgia amplifies painful sensations by affecting the way your brain processes pain signals. Women are much more likely to develop fibromyalgia than are men. Hmm. Hmm. Ripped off again. Yeah, exactly. Many people who have fibromyalgia also have tension headaches, TMJ disorders, irritable bowel syndrome, anxiety, and depression. So, look, what about some of the symptoms that they, you know, say go along with fibromyalgia? Symptoms, widespread pain. 
fatigue, people with fibromyalgia often awake and tired even though they report sleeping for long periods of time. Sleep is often disrupted by pain and many patients with fibromyalgia have other sleep disorders such as restless leg syndrome and sleep apnea. Also brain fog, other problems many people have. Fibromyalgia also may experience depression, headaches, and pain or cramping in the lower abdomen. So it's interesting that a lot of the things that they talk about that go along with fibromyalgia, we've done a show on pretty much every one of those episodes. So just listen to all the Listen to all those episodes mm-hmm. and you're going to have this covered. But, you know, when we talk about a lot of those issues, in many cases they're connected. And today we're going to kind of dig into why they're connected and, and what a lot of the common causes are for some of those things. Uh, what does the medical world say that the causes are for fibromyalgia? Researchers believe repeated nerve stimulation causes the brains of people with fibromyalgia to change. This change involves an abnormal increase in levels of certain chemicals in the brain that signal pain, neurotransmitters. In addition, the brain the pain, brain's pain receptors seem to develop a sort of memory of the pain and become more sensitive, meaning they can overreact to pain signals. And so what that does is that angers me, that that's the main information that's out there. So I'm just going to tell a fibromyalgia patient that they're overreacting. You're overreacting. Uh-huh. Your brain over is overreacting. Well. <laughs> even if you're not overreacting and, and you yeah. don't feel like you're overreacting, your brain is overreacting. Mm-hmm. So just tell it to calm down and you won't be in such pain. And when someone reads that, they kind of feel like, well, I don't have control over how reactive my brain is or the neurotransmitters in my brain. I don't have a control over that, which means the only option I have is, do you have any drugs for this? Maybe I could sign up for that. Yeah. So it, the understanding in the medical world and the information that they provide kind of leaves people feeling a little hopeless. And that's what we hear from uh, people with this type of issue all the time is that they they don't really understand why it's happening, so they certainly are not going to understand uh, how to do it. And you can see that the diagnosis for fibromyalgia now is, and they used to have all these pressure points that they would use all these pressure points in the body, and when they would press on them, if they would hurt, if you had so many, they could get considered you had fibromyalgia. Now, if you just have what they call widespread pain for three months, you're diagnosed with fibromyalgia. If they can't find any other, like it if seems you like they're just getting lazy. I don't you know, could be. it's like yeah. you know, okay, you got pain, fibromyalgia, stamp, get out. Yeah, and it, it's they say that if they if they can't find another cause, so if you don't have like a spear coming out of your shin or some other cause that they can mm-hmm. find for widespread pain, um, which a, a spear in your shin is painful, mm-hmm. and it hurts more than just in your shin. It's really weird. Yeah, it hurts we'll, all we'll over. We'll cover that in a different show, um, mm-hmm. but. If you just have this pain for a three-month period, then they just diagnose you with fibromyalgia, even though they don't understand what's causing the pain. But when they do that, and the reason they do that is because everything in the medical insurance world is run off of diagnosis. So when you can diagnose with somebody for something, then the insurance will cover the treatment, I'm doing some quotes, for that diagnosis so that a person can be prescribed medications, and those medications are covered by the insurance. Do you have input to say about those? all those words? We said a bunch of words, Will. Yeah, you guys did. You said a lot of words. So we're um, done for the rest of the show. Will's all the rest of the studying, words will be yeah. you. He's like, eh. Yeah, I mean, actually, this 
this topic is particularly near and dear to my heart because it is what led me into studying nutrition in the first place because I had all those symptoms. That's that's exactly what was going on with me that was super mysterious and plagued me for years in this increasingly painful and disturbing way where um, people who've listened to the show before probably heard me talk about like the pain that I used to have in my extremities and the clenching and cramping and gnawing sort of um, symptoms that were that were present that really drove me crazy. It started off where it felt like uh, I was actually sitting in my desk at work working as an exercise therapist and it felt like a, a, a spa jet kind of lightly started blowing on my inner left ankle. I was like, that's weird. Was so, it an intern? No, because mm-hmm. I wasn't in a spa and there was no interns. Oh, yeah. okay. It was just all of a sudden the sensation. And then the next day it was in both ankles. And then the day after that it was in both ankles and my thumbs, like the meaty part. But if it was a hot day, that might have been nice. <clears throat> and so you spent the next three months researching, is my desk haunted? Yeah, or do I have an invisible spa? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, but it wasn't a comfortable, it was like a weird tingly, like kind of like like fluttery sensation and then it grew into like a gnawing pain as if I had like a tourniquet tightly wrapped around my inner ankle and twitching and cramping and these are some of the symptoms this is what you would call fibromyalgia means soft tissue pain like that's what those those words actually break down to. Oh, so I was wrong it doesn't totally... really mean you hurt it sucks we don't know why no it means oh, okay Algia means pain and fibro is referring to soft tissue. So I had soft tissue pain and it also comes along with those other things you talk about like restless leg syndrome that is uncontrollable low-grade clenching cramping uh, tendency to want to move and shift around and be fidgety. That's what that is and it can also come along with anxiety and fatigue and uh, irritability, um, twitching. And I had all of those things in increasingly, it became way more severe than what I was just talking about. Like eventually my legs were in constant state of spasm and twitching. I had to actively flex them the opposite way so that they wouldn't contract. I had to like force them like consciously to keep from cramping and pulling out and it was it was a nightmare, and it would literally. I was a nightmare. I'd have nightmares of being electrocuted, and nightmares of being hit by lightning. That's awesome sauce. It was awful. Yeah, but it was very complicated. What was happening, and that's why it took me so long to figure it out. I had um, all these nerve tests done. I had a full spinal MRI. I had all this blood work done. Everything looked completely normal. And that seems to be the gist from most of the people that we hear from. As my doctor says, all these tests look normal. Yeah, everything, everything, blood pressure, uh, every blood count, vitamin level, cholesterol, thyroid function, like all of that, everything completely normal according to their their tests. Will even had the doctors check his online dating profile and they said all of that looked normal too. Yeah, I don't know about that. I was getting a a decent number of views and Uh some swipes. (laughs) It's like, no, there's just no turnover here. (laughs) So... um, so I kept looking and looking and looking for different results. And that's what led me into the work that we do now with this nutritional stuff. Because when we were look, when someone finally looked at my body chemistry using the set of tools we teach about in our health coach training course, it was very, very clear that there were a couple things that were totally out of balance that had to do with like my metabolism, my oxidation rate, my blood pH, 
And um, those just were not things that my any of the doctors that I went to looked at. So what we'll do today is when we talk about, because we're going to look at some case studies, we're going to answer some questions and stuff, but when somebody's dealing with something that was the same with you, why don't you kind of interject with how that applied to your stuff as well and maybe even the steps that eventually led to the improvement of all that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I can get into that. Absolutely. Because it's this thing, and I think Will was dealing with the same thing, is that the initial response that a lot of people have is, why did this happen to me? And yeah. the reality is that it's in most cases... You're paying cases, for a, a past sin. Yeah, it's, it's karma. Mm-hmm. So that's how yeah. it works. There you go. Next yeah. question. <laughs> no. So the reality is that um, for most people, there was not an event or a thing that broke that caused this to happen. It's more of a, a, a downward spiral that has been going on for a while. And as one system starts to malfunction, it creates imbalances and problems and other systems, and uh, sometimes that those problems can lead a person to uh, behave poorly nutritionally. Like it may push them towards habits that are not optimal in the long term, but may make them feel better or function better in the short term. So there can be a combination of things going wrong, tricking you into doing other things that are wrong that kind of spiral down into this horrible mess that results in Hey, I'm in pain, and it's all the time. Cool. Yes. Well, not cool. But. Yeah, it's not, it's not that great. So what we'll do today is we're going to kind of look at some of the reasons that happens. And when you research fibromyalgia, like, uh, you know, there are a lot of theories out there, and some of them are very complicated. A lot of people believe that it's really about a, a glutathione depletion or blocks in the methylation process. And, um, you know, one thing that is interesting is that most people do agree that most cases of fibromyalgia, the person does show a depletion of glutathione. And there's a lot of complicated views to look at. I don't want to get into a lot of that, but anything that stresses the body depletes glutathione. Glutathione is like this protector in the system. And as long as we have enough, we're, we're pretty much usually kind of protected and kind of like a, a bulletproof vest kind of thing. Um, but just about anything in our society and environment today can deplete glutathione. So I don't view it as a problem necessarily with glutathione as it is as what's causing the glutathione to be depleted and used up and what kind of emergency is going on that's causing all kinds of problems. And I think that's the stuff that me and Will really want to get into today. And we're going to look at some case studies to try and do that so and i'm just gonna sit here and look pretty you'll you'll look pretty the whole time good um but what we want to teach people to do is is because a lot of people don't understand how this happened to them and they look well is it in my family history is it genetic you know that kind of thing but what we want you to do is don't try to focus all of your energy on fixing this problem or just trying to get to the destination of pain-free that if you can try to put your attention towards helping your body function the way that it's supposed to function, correct the things that may be going wrong, then the body can take care of a lot of things on its own. So, Will, we're going to talk about some of the most common causes that we see, but let's cover Noreen's 
uh, question first, and that'll interest. All intro right, Noreen. Hmm, I have been told I have this and have always ignored the prescription drugs that are being offered. My sister, however, tells me she has it and she only has it in her arm. I had always thought it was a whole body thing because of the pressure points and pain brought with that. My question, one, can you have it in only an arm, a leg, etc., without it affecting other areas of your body? Two, I'm allergic to narcotics, so what can be used holistically for fibropain? Three, is a body in a catabolic or anabolic state when one is di- diagnosed? So Noreen is a, is a book reader, and this was posted in the support group, so she understands the difference between an anabolic and a catabolic and balance, and that's interesting because that can be a major factor for, I would, if I had to guess, which I am just guessing, I would say half of the cases is leaning towards someone with a uh, an anabolic or catabolic imbalance. And we'll kind of talk about how that happens. But the first question about uh, can it be in the arm? Well, if a diagnosis is just a, a made-up thing, you know, they're just, it, there's not any panel or any... Uh, laboratory test that shows you have fibromyalgia. It's just that you have pain. We can't figure out why, so we're going to diagnose you with that. So in that respect, why couldn't it be in just one place? There may be doctors that say, I'm not going to diagnose it unless it's widespread, which is the the, the mainstream view. But I think that a person could easily be diagnosed if it was just in an area. And we know that for a variety of reasons, a person can have pain in just one area. That That happens all the time. Um, as far as uh, what can be used for the pain, we're going to talk today about how to look at the underlying causes. And if you can fix those, then you can often fix the pain. It's not about masking the pain or covering it up, with a, which a lot of the fibro meds are kind of geared towards. But, Will, what I want to get into first um, is, and we want to kind of keep this not too complicated, because when you get down to cellular respiration, minerals being in the wrong place and causing tissues to uh, be too acidic or too alkaline, all these things. There's a lot of complicated things we could get into. But can you talk for a second, just briefly introduce the difference between an anabolic and catabolic state, and then we'll start to talk about some of the problems that can occur when a person is stuck there all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess that one of the easier... I would like to talk to her uh, question, too, about it being in one place. Cool. But I'll, I'll talk what you just said first. Um, so there's different issues that we'll see. Um, one of the main problems in how in what we classify as the catabolic imbalance is there's a, a tissue breakdown state occurring where the, the cells are always breaking down and renewing. But in a catabolic imbalance, what we see is um, an excessive either accelerated rate of tissue breakdown, which can be from something like not getting enough rest or overtraining, or it could come from a depletion of not having enough of the resources that our body needs to continually rebuild and renew our tissues. So for, you know, and it could be a combination of those things as well. So we'll see like there's too much breakdown of tissue occurring. And with that, there can be inflammation and there can be just energy depletion where the cells don't have the energy that they need to work right and they don't have the resources they need to repair themselves. So that can lead to like degeneration and pain in and malfunction for its own set of reasons. And we classify that as a catabolic imbalance and it has its various markers that go along with it. 
And then in this anabolic imbalance, the I'd say the causes of pain have more to do with metabolic issues that are um, causing the cells to create more lactic acid than um, they would like to because of issues getting oxygen into the tissues and issues being able to use that oxygen. Uh, so they end up creating a lot more lactic acid because they don't have enough oxygen to perform regular energy production, which uh, does not produce as much lactic acid. Right. So that fermentation process that creates when someone's stuck in that anabolic state all the time is going to create lactic acid as a result. And, but, yeah. Yeah, and you know, one thing that we want to hit on is like, uh, you know, both of these states, this anabolic state that usually happens with most people at night when we're repairing and rebuilding, and the catabolic state, which is the breakdown state that Will was talking about, they're both appropriate. We, we should have both happening every day, but a lot of people, for a lot of reasons, will get stuck in one state or the other. And when someone's really stuck in this anabolic state because of the way the body's creating energy and because of different functions that happen at the cellular level where maybe specific minerals can't get in or out and be in the correct location, it changes what's going on in the tissue level. So what can happen is uh, in that extreme anabolic state, we call that uh, a person can often have acid pain because it's basically the nerves frying in an overly acid tissue fluid. So you could see that if a tissue fluid was more acidic than it should be, uh, that the frying of those nerves would create pain. And when you looked at a blood panel, you would see that, hey, cholesterol's in good shape. All these things are in perfect order. But you're not looking at the, at the whole system. You're just looking at the blood. And the body is real particular about the blood. It wants the blood to stay in line. It'll, do, it'll beg, borrow, and steal from other systems to keep the blood in line. So that's one cause of pain. But then at the other end, at this overly catabolic state, it can create an overly alkaline tissue fluid and those nerves can still fry in alkalinity if you there's some chemicals in a lab where you can pour it on your hand and it'll burn your skin and it's from being overly alkaline so either one of those states can cause pain in its extreme situation if you're a health fitness or nutrition professional check out our other podcast six figure health pro we dig into the latest marketing techniques and business growing strategies for health professionals to learn how to take your business to the next level, search for Six Figure Health Pro on iTunes or Stitcher, or go to sixfigurehealthpro.com to learn more. Now do what you're told. To talk to, what was her name? Noreen. Noreen's question about can it occur locally. Um, if you recall just earlier, my story with my pain initially started in my left ankle, right? And that was, it was a systemic issue, but it started hurting in a specific place. And it spread, like for me, it spread. It got worse and worse until it was like my legs and my hands and my torso. And um, But it was the, for me, in my ex like far extremities, because of the nature of the the causes of my pain, it, had, it was very um, related to circulation. So your furthest extremities are the first to uh, suffer from circulation problems because they have, you know, it's the farthest to go from the heart. So I felt it in that one place in my, in my left ankle initially, and then both ankles. So, but the problem wasn't with my left ankle. Like I never hurt my ankle, you know, but sometimes people have a thing like, oh, maybe they tore their rotator cuff or they got 
they they got their jaw broken or they had tendonitis in their elbow and now that tissue has some scar or that area has some scar tissue or um, maybe tension held around it because of an injury or whatever it was. And so it can be, too, also more subject to stress. Maybe it's nerves a little depleted. Maybe the circulation's restricted. Maybe the scar tissue interferes with function, so there's some inflammation. And any systemic imbalance that occurs might be felt first at that place, which is already weakened or somewhat in, in some way impaired. So, like, you know, like someone who has a knee injury, like they can – it starts to really ache when it when it's about to rain. You know that area for them is already a little borderline suffering, uh, or impaired. And when some pressure or stress hits the system, they feel it in that already aggravated place first. Right, and that makes a lot of sense when you think about it. That's a really good explanation too. And, and so this type of pain that can happen and that is common and that we see a lot is just one of the possible underlying causes. Uh, for systemic pain and what people are often diagnosed with fibromyalgia. So we don't want someone just to guess at it because then how do you know what steps to take? But in our uh, free, uh, almost free four-week digestion course, it's 50 cents, it's big bucks, um, at kickitnaturally.com, we teach people how to run these simple tests on their chemistry where they can look at things like their urine pH and their blood pressure and their blood glucose and they can start to get an idea of how their body's operating. So when you run these tests, you can get an idea of am I pushing way too anabolic or am I pushing way too catabolic? And I tend to see just in my experience, and you may agree with this, Will, most people that come to me with fibromyalgia pain um, are almost always in an anabolic and an electrolyte deficient state. That just seems to be the most common scenario that I see. And what's interesting about that is that ibuprofen is a really popular, you know, remedy or drug to use for people with this type of pain. And ibuprofen pushes a person less anabolic. So if ibuprofen is correcting that imbalance, it could be improving the situation that way. Aspirin makes a person less catabolic. So if you're a person who has tried aspirin and ibuprofen and found that one of those works much better than the other, and maybe the other one even makes you feel worse or exacerbates your pain, then that could be an indication that you may be dealing with one of those imbalances and it could be at the root of this problem. Um, so we want to talk about some other causes, though, and throughout some of these case studies that we'll do in this episode, we'll talk about an anabolic and a catabolic imbalance. Um, but we want to look at some other things too. And one very popular view, especially in the paleo world, and um, Chris Kresser had put together this great article. We'll put the, the link in the show notes to this article. But it was all about how um, a lot of the medical uh, information is pointing towards the fact that there's a strong combination between leaky gut, IBS, uh, chronic fatigue, and fibromyalgia. And when inflammation is high, the stress level of the body systemically is very high. And when that's the case, hydrochloric acid production will almost always be suppressed, which means that you won't have the ability to break down your food properly, um, which we'll have Will talk a little bit about how that can lead to things like leaky gut IBS and chronic fatigue. But it's just interesting that um, how much stress can play a role in causing other troubles that you wouldn't think 
it, it could create. But the inability to break down our food, and we talk about this in every episode, can lead to a wide variety of issues. So let's have Will just talk a little bit about how that can happen, and then I'll pull some stuff from Chris Gresser's article. Sure. So I'd say there's a couple things you want to look at. One is the cells need the nutrition from proper digestion to have the energy to function correctly. So obviously when digestion isn't working well, they're going to be energy depleted, and that can cause them to be things like nerve sensory nerves to get stuck in an excited state. They need energy to be able to relax and turn back off. Um, so when digestion is impaired, we have those lack of resource, lack of fuel issues contributing to the stress state. Additionally, if there's some uh, source of intestinal toxins that are permeating and you know per proliferating in the bloodstream, that will also be an aggravation and a direct source of stress where it may even elicit an immune response if there's particular antigens that are leaking into your gut. So your nervous system will freak out, your immune system can freak out, and that can cause inflammation in itself just as an immune response, but also all those exotoxins from these undigested food matter and bacteria that come in will also... Um, create a huge energy uh, demand from the body to fight against those things and try to quarantine those antigens. So that also will create an inflammatory state and further energy deprivation. So your your cells as a whole, like in your muscle cells as well as your sensory neurons, will be um, in a stress state for multiple reasons, fuel depletion and inflammation and uh, energy depletion from fighting off toxins. And what's interesting is Will's talking about all these mycotoxins that are basically just can be waste product from bacteria or other varmints that get into the system. And what's interesting is that that stomach acid production in the stomach is our barrier from bad guys getting in. Because a lot of bad guys come in on the food that we eat and the HCL in our stomach uh, kind of fries them and kills them and keeps them from coming into the system. But um, not only can all of those toxins in the system put resources towards dealing with that emergency and taking resources away from creating stomach acid, um, so you can kind of get stuck in this cycle of uh, inability to create stomach acid, and which creates this inability to break down the food enough to pull minerals out needed to create that stomach acid. So a lot of people get stuck in this cycle and an inability to break down food leaves food intact, which it can get into through the gut lining and uh, become an invader to the body um, and can cause all kinds of different IBS trouble as well. So it kind of helps us see that why there would be a connection between these issues. We have a whole episode on chronic fatigue. Do you want to kind of summarize how that could come from an inability to break down your food properly? Yeah, I mean, well, it's it's kind of the same thing as not eating, except it's a little worse because when you're not eating, you're not getting you know nutrients to or fuel to run your cells on. But when you're you are eating and you're not digesting, you're not only not getting the nutrition, you're also getting a whole gut load full of toxins that <sighs> right. they deal with. Such so a great that, point, right? So that that's not fun. Um, but also when you're, when your stomach acid is weak and you have all these extra endotoxins coming in, you're also not getting protein. 
So within you know a reasonably short amount of time, that can lead to uh, lower thyroid function and slower metabolism, and that in itself can create an elevated stress state. Because when our thyroid is underactive and we have protein deficiency, we don't our cells don't get the thyroid hormone stimulation that they need to perform regular energy production or, or cellular respiration thyroid driven energy production. So they will revert to a stress state. And they'll be stuck in a stress state with elevated cortisol and epinephrine and adrenaline, to, which will be a aggravating influence on your nerves. And they'll be more excitatory, like your muscles so you twitch more and your sensory nerves so you feel pain more, which is why this fibromyalgia and resting leg syndrome kind of go together. I was actually put on medication for resting leg syndrome for restless leg syndrome yeah because mm-hmm. like because my leg like, i couldn't keep my legs still they were constantly twitching cramping and i and i felt like i had to keep moving them that is that excitatory state of the nervous system our neurons we've never really talked about this before but our neurons are they are they have electrical synapses and they require um what's called the like a threshold voltage to stimulate them to send a signal, whether it's a muscle cell contracting or a sensory neuron um, transmitting uh, data or information they gathered. And that threshold uh, is normally at a certain level where it takes a certain amount of stimulus to trigger it. But that level can, um, like its baseline level, can be altered by things like if you have like excitatory amino acids like tryptophan or cysteine, it can make it easier and more prone for the nerve to send its signal. As opposed to if you have calming amino acids like glycine or GABA, or some other nutrients, it can make, uh, they're called inhibitory neurotransmitters, and it can make the nerves less, uh, less excitable, less prone to, uh, to fire. So when people are in this elevated stress state, they have a lot of neurotransmitters, some of which are amino, can be amino acids, that will make them far more prone to getting all this nervous data all the time. So pain, 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 twitching, cramping, clenching, fire, like that is part and parcel of the stress state. And there's specific nutrients that we can often include that can help calm the nerves and reset that its normal sort of resting voltage so like glycine, like the amino acid that's most abundant in collagen proteins, has a very soothing, calming effects on the nerves themselves, um, which is why I've seen really, really great results with, for example, little kids who are starting to like fidget and twitch around, or in my own case, my own symptoms disappear once I start emphasizing glycine in my diet or if I see moms start feeding their kids these collagen proteins within hours they stop fidgeting and twitching which could have a lot to do with why you know because it's it's very abundant in things like bone broth and we hear from a lot of people doing things like bone broth and collagen and things like that that improve a lot of issues like this and it kind of helps it to make a little more sense you know one interesting thing about what you said that could kind of bring a point home is that you're talking about a person who can't make energy properly and so all of these stress hormones kind of jack things up um, and that can create the problems that would create a systemic pain. But in the same respect, 
another person's body may find a different solution. Maybe that solution is to push the body into an extreme anabolic state so that it can create energy through the fermentation process. The problem is, like Will was saying, is that that fermentation process creates lactic acid, excess lactic acid, um, and that excessive anabolic state can create uh, acid tissue levels that kind of burn and fry up um, all the nerves. So you can see that those two varieties uh, of solutions that the body is coming up with are creating pain, but for totally different reasons. So when you're trying to just use a medication to fix the problem, obviously one medication is not going to uh, fix two totally different underlying causes. And that's why some people uh, get worse with a lot of the things that the medical world is using instead of better. Kenneth, let's look at uh, the stuff, uh, a couple of the points that Chris Kresser pulled uh, had in his article that kind of point out the strong uh, linkage between leaky gut, IBS, chronic fatigue, and fibromyalgia. 73% of patients with fibromyalgia reported GI symptoms. Irritable bowel syndrome, IBS, is present in 30 to 70% of fibromyalgia patients. 33% of IBS patients meet the diagnostic criteria for fibromyalgia. Up to 50% of patients with fibromyalgia have functional dyspepsia, right? Yeah. Which is a fancy term for indigestion with no known cause. So it's interesting that, you know, about half of the people who report fibromyalgia have a known uh, digestive issue where they know that they're having indigestion. And indigestion means an inability to digest what is going on. Um, so we see this strong connection. And what other gut associations did he list there, Kenna? Uh, a study in 2008 found a relationship between alterations of the intestinal microbiota, i.e. gut flora, and fibromyalgia. Researchers at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles found that 100%, 42 out of 42, of fibromyalgia patients they studied had small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, SIBO. A study of 40 patients with fibromyalgia, 28, which is 70%, had intestinal permeability, i.e. leaky gut. Importantly, 12 out of the 28 patients with leaky gut had no gut symptoms. I believe this is one reason the gut is often overlooked as a potential underlying cause of fibromyalgia. Yeah, because a lot of people with major digestive issues, uh, we talk about this a lot in our food sensitivities episode, is that when food is not breaking down, because the body can't use a peanut butter sandwich, it can, it can use minerals and vitamins and amino acids and fats that, are, that that peanut butter sandwich are broken down into, but it can't do anything with an actual peanut butter sandwich. Great. So, now I want peanut butter. Right. It's mm-hmm. delicious. <laughs> so if you can't break it down properly, then this undigested food becomes a problem the body has to deal with. And if you have any permeability in that gut lining that is a little bit excessive, which can happen for any number of reasons, then that actual peanut butter sandwich gets into the system, it's viewed as an invader, and the immune system attacks it. So every time you eat this food, you're having this amazing immune response, which can result in all kinds of inflammation, which is just your body trying to deal with a problem. But the result for you can be pain and all kinds of other problems, you know, feeling uh, unwell, uh, being very chronically fatigued, you know, any number of things can happen when this is the case. So it's just interesting that when you look at 
people with fibromyalgia, they also most commonly have these type of issues going on. And it leads us to believe that in many cases, this is the underlying problem. It's the inability to digest food properly. And not only the problems that come from not getting the nutrients, but the problems that come from your body having to deal with this toxic mess that was just a peanut butter sandwich. So for years, you don't know that your digestion is not working and that causes your, it's the root system of the body, but it causes everything to like kind of break down. Go the wrong direction. Yeah, because it's not getting what it needs. Yeah, yeah. because people like... Oh, well, everybody burps. What's the big deal? Everybody passes gas. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I, all my friends are constipated. You know, all these symptoms are so common that people feel like they're normal. It's okay. It's normal. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody has that. What's the big deal? But it's not. So it's not let's, normal. Let's look at just this one question or info that Shay sent in, and we're probably going to have to wrap this up and finish this up in the next episode or maybe two episodes. We have a lot to cover. Good Lord. Jeez. Shay emailed us and says she's dealing with Hashimoto's, IBSD, luck, leaky gut, headaches, fibromyalgia, GERD indigestion, chronic fatigue, high cholesterol, menorrhagia, whatever good. that is. I am only 43 years old. Wow. So this is what seems to be the case. I've never seen anybody that says, I have fibromyalgia. And that's it. Yeah. It's always there are other things going on that they're also dealing with. And uh, when you look at what's happening and when you take steps to improve it, it always ends up to be in most cases that you were improving other issues that were creating the problems like Will was talking about before. Do you have anything to add before we go to finish this up next week, Will? Um, Yeah, I mean, I... uh... I never had any sort of like in uh, digestive diagnosis and it's possible. It's very, very possible that I had like some intestinal flora issue for me in my situation. I know what fixed it. I didn't necessarily do a cleanse that fixed it. For me, it was, I had to better understand how my nervous system was impacted by stimulants. Right. And that, that was what the thing was for me. So I don't want people to hear that, uh, that statement from Chris Kasser just now and think, oh, for sure, I I must have to fix SIBO to fix my fibromyalgia. I don't believe that at all. Yeah, no, I don't think you do. I don't think. I mean, you've said multiple times there's there's all sorts of different causes, and we need to like look at the individual for each of those things. I just want people to know, like, that's a very important thing to look at your intestinal health. Absolutely, and there also may be another area of focus that you need to personally take in your case to fix it. Like for me, it was like, oh, I need to get off stimulants and do some stuff that actually recalibrates my nervous system. Um, But that's kind of the beauty of what you can learn when you start to look at your own individual chemistry, like how we teach in the Almost Free Digestive Issues course, doing your self-tests and looking at um, what your breath rate is, your blood pressure, what, what are some stats in your urine and saliva so you can see like, what are those things that are happening in your case, you know? Cool. What's menorrhagia? It's like an excessive bleeding during your period oh, kind of thing. Okay. Um, so we're going to get into some of these other things, too, and some of the other causes, and we have some case studies that we want to look at next week, too. Uh, but we're going to have to get into that because we're, we're going to go way too long. This might be three parts. This is wow. scary. Wow. Today, all of our listeners can get a free audiobook from audible.com. Just go to kickitinthenuts.com forward slash audiobook for the details. You know that never gets tiring. I know. It's amazing. Just never. Okay. 
When we come back next week, we're going to jump right into questions, too. Okie dokie. If you want to learn more about how to look at your own uh, chemistry, you can read any of Tony's books or take the almost free four-week digestion course at kickitnaturally.com or head on over to Will Schmidt's mybodyofknowledge.net. He's got lots of great stuff on there, blogs, pain relief, videos, all kinds of great stuff. Woo-woo. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.